1: Hey guys, this is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one, the only Ms. Peppermint. Hello.
0: Hi, David.
1: How are you today? I'm fabulous. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for stopping by. Now,
0: where are you? Are you in New York? No, um, no, I'm not, sadly. I mean, my soul and heart are always in New York, but I'm zooming from you today from Vancouver. Well, you're not missing
1: so much. I don't know at what point you left New York, but I've been here the whole time and it's just, it's quiet. Like even now that it's open, it's just quiet out there.
0: Yeah, well, I've actually only left a week ago, so it's not, so I'm not, it's not bad, but, and I'll be back. I'm only out of town for work. So I really respect, you know, referencing the the pandemic and everything that happened this over the summer and the whole year. Um, I really, it just made me have so much more respect, not to get too deep right away, but it really did make me have so much more respect for the city of New York. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to hate New York. Um, but seeing what we went through and then seeing how we collectively sort of really bounce back from it, um, you know, because I think the pandemic really took a toll on everyone in the beginning, not that it, it, especially, I guess, for the reason that we didn't know what was going on. And so it was like a shock and a surprise to, I think, a lot of people. Um, and there was definitely more panic. And so I think we handled that well, and we, uh, just like we handled, you know, coping after nine eleven. I just think it's, you know, so I'm, I'm and that much more in love with the city. I was ready to move before the pandemic, and now I'm like, you know what? This is my kind of city. Really?
1: <laughs> so, like, the pandemic kind of re-energized you in New York?
0: Yeah, it just really made me see. Who, look, it really drew a line, and some people needed to to leave. Some people had to leave. Some people wanted to leave. Everybody has their different reasons and perspective. But I, I, there was a notion of, you know, like, oh, some of y'all are just bailing on the city at a time when a city is only a city be, because of the people. It literally, it's the definition of a bunch of, a lot of people. And so if everyone leaves, it's just an area. Um, and a, m- empty buildings at best. And so New York City is only what it is because of the humans that are there giving their energy doing, you know, interacting and all of that stuff. And I know that it wasn't safe to do all that stuff. And there's still obviously a question of safety when it comes to the pandemic for any city. But I really do think that, you know, the thought of like, I'm just gonna desert the city and then I'll come back when, it, when the rent is cheap and when I can take what I need to take from it. I think those people left, you know, right away. Um, and then there's people that, who couldn't leave, who didn't have the money didn't have the means, don't have a house in Malibu. And, you know, I'm not mocking people who do, but I'm just saying there's people who couldn't leave. And I think those people were forced to stay and cope. And, and then they have to make the city work. It's the people who stayed who turned those, um, the restaurants and did what they needed to do to get the restaurants having outdoor seating. So that this, it's nice when you walk down the street now in New York and you can eat outside. I don't know if it's are gonna be in the winter, uh, but apparently, those are there to stay, and so I think all of the things that made the city run efficiently um during much more efficiently during the pandemic during the height of pandemic all those things that stayed, obviously, the mayor gets some credit but it's the people who stayed, the workers, the people who who needed to stay and had to stay, and they made the city better so new york city is has come out. Um, much more focused, I think, and possibly even better and definitely much more efficiently running before the pandemic. Uh, I mean, since after the pandemic than we were before the pandemic. And if we needed to get rid of, you know, the, trim our own fat from the people who were just too weak to stay, then so be it. I know that sounds very harsh. I just woke up.
1: No, I mean, that's okay. I mean, I, I say the same thing. I'm like, I mean, wait, are, aren't we supposed to be the toughest people like in the whole yeah. world? Like, I'm like, this is my home, man. I'm not leaving,
0: sorry. Yeah, what is this?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm like, I don't understand. I mean, I, I thought of leaving too during the pandemic and then I'm just mm-hmm. like, I don't understand. Like what, I'm, it's like, there's, it's still New York. There's still things to do. There's still life here, people.
0: Yeah, well, if the pandemic was only in new york city and it was literally called the new york virus and it was only in new york city and the minute you left new york city you were no longer susceptible then of course get out let's leave get out of here we need to save our lives but being as though all those people who left new york city when new york city was at the height of the pandemic are i believe partially to blame for why the rest of the country and it's not just new yorkers but they were certainly care there were some carriers of coronavirus leaving this this city when they left and they were or they or they were completely uh they weren't carriers and they were going to a place that already had corona it's a problem for the whole world it's a pandemic it's in every city and state and country and so where are you what are you running from
1: totally (laughs) i agree okay i'm ranting (laughs) listen you could rant here
0: where where are you from originally like you're not you're not from this area are you I'm not born in New York City. I was born in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, and I moved to New York as a young college student.
1: Did you always know, like, growing up, like, it's New York, it's New York, it's New York, just let me get to New York?
0: No, it was Philly. Um, Totally Philly. Uh, And... That's what I wanted to do, but I didn't get accepted into that college. So I, I applied to New York, which you, I, I would have assumed would have been more exclusive and harder to get into. And it was, I got in. <laughs> and then you came to New York and the
1: rest is history.
0: When, mm-hmm. did,
1: when did you start doing drag? Like, did you do drag like before
0: New York, before college, like back in high school? I mean, my first time in, in drag was in high school in something called the Homely Court, which is where they would, and that's a terrible name, but that's what they would, uh, it was basically everyone cross-dressed during homecoming. And it was like a mock homecoming court. And so, you know, you had the king and the queen and the different people, um, and every, but everyone was cross-dressing. And so, of course, I was like, what? I have to do this. And I did, and I won and i was hooked i mean look i probably would have been wearing that skirt and those heels even if there hadn't been a contest that day um but that just gave me extra uh, permission and everyone was cheering and you know it was by audience applause that i won and so it really sealed the deal and then i did it a couple more times i did it every halloween after that cuz i was in I, was, I think it was in 10th grade when that happened maybe even ninth grade so either way i just kept doing it every year i found more and more excuses to get in drag and clearly it was less about the applause and the performance than it was about me really being able to um find an acceptable way for me to express my femininity and you know because it was not easy for teenagers to medically transition back then so the next best thing for me was drag, and then I moved. And then I said, "Well, uh, I think the fr- my first time my first trip to New York City was a bus trip where me and my girlfriend went. Her name was Nikea Rashika Thunder Pussy. Uh, <laughs> got in got in drag on the Peter Pan bus to New York in the two hour bus ride. So we got off the bus in full drag. We got on not in just in our regular clothes, and then we walked the We walked the streets like any good, self-respecting drag queen would do in the 90s. And so we were walking the streets. I counted the hours, and I'll never forget the number, it was 14 hours in heels walking around the streets of New York from Midtown to all the way downtown, 14 hours. We took a couple of rests. I'm sure we sat down in a few places. We had no money. We didn't go to any club, not one club, not one bar. I was too young. And we just walked around in drag and went, we're, were talking to the people on the street and they loved it and so did we. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends.
1: best about Crocs because being this comfortable transcends a single season or a single vacation or even a single moment. It's a mindset. Thank you, Crocs. And right now you get 20% off your next purchase at crocs.com. Just use the code sandals20 at checkout. That's sandals20 at crocs.com for 20% off your purchase. Wow. And did you know, like when you started doing drag, you said like you might've been wearing that dress anyway, like When did you, like, were you aware of the fact that it might be more than just
0: doing drag once a year? I mean, I knew that before doing drag. You know, drag didn't, like, make me discover, like, oh, is this something, you know, I kind of already knew. um, And I just didn't have a way to do it. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's a really delicious pot of soup on the stove, and you need something to eat it out of, and so there's no bowls. So there's a dirty ashtray in the corner. You're just gonna use the ashtray and drink the soup out of that because you need to do it. So, I mean, that's a weird analogy, but-
1: um, No, that makes I knew sense. That I,
0: yeah, I just, I, it, was the, it was the vessel that I could use to carry my femininity, you know, and, and express it. Um, but, I, but that pot of soup was already ready and cooking probably from birth.
1: <laughs> well, how'd you come up with the name peppermint?
0: My favorite flavor. It's a good flavor. (laughs) I mean. I'll say so.
1: What would your drag name have been? You know, they say like your pet and the street you grew up on. Like what would your, like, what was your first pet? Like what would it have been if you followed that rule, which is not really a rule? It
0: would have been. um,
1: Like your first pet and then the street you grew up on.
0: Pepper Second Street. Okay. Cause my, that, my, my, dog's name was also pepper. That kind of works. But pepper second street. Yeah. I, I never stood. I, I think that was, I was like, Oh, uh, but that was the analogy that we use for por- to find your porn name too. I don't know if you did. You know, did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Cause I guess they're interchangeable drag names is porn. Names. Pepper second street.
1: <laughs> I kind of like I like it so you were in New York and like you were on the scene and you were doing drag so how do you go from that how does Drag Race come about for you and we're going to get to your new music and I have so much current
0: stuff to talk to you about but I like to just gorgeous no yeah um I I mean Drag Race us uh, I I've been doing drag for about 10 years by the time Drag Race came on for the season one and they uh they were initially before the show start you know filmed they were asking all of a lot of the queens in the clubs who would be who's interested in trying this out a very different situation than what it's like now and they asked me if i wanted to do it but i didn't know what it was and so i said no because i really pictured you know basically i just i guess i was scarred from shows like jerry springer where you know you would see a drag queen or a trans woman on the show and on any of those shows. And they never really, it was always the audience poking, they were always the the butt of the joke. It was never empowering. And so I just, there weren't really, there weren't any examples of shows that had queer people owning their space the way that they do on Drag Race. And so I just, I was like, this is gonna be embarrassing, not good. And to be honest with you, I didn't want to be seen out of drag. I hadn't started my medical transition and I just didn't feel safe to do it. And so I, it was a hard no for me. Um, and, you know, cause I was like, I can't be on camera and national camera, you know, like arguing and throwing drinks at each other. Like that's what I thought it was going to be, you know? And, and that's pretty much what it is. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. Um, and so, but I, I decided to, to not do it obviously and I kept going with my career and I have really poured my heart and soul into my drag career because I was working as an entertainer only in New York City, which is a huge accomplishment for anybody that's ever tried to pay rent in New York City. And then um, after you know, working for a few years and finally getting my own shows, I was able to um, perform overseas and travel. I felt like I was living the high life as a queen and a drag entertainer. And so I felt at the the next point I was, I don't need drag race for my drag career. Ironically I needed drag race for my medical transition because I did, I was floating, but I didn't really have enough money to really achieve a lot. And so I, uh, before, before Obamacare became a thing, um, even though Obama was in in 2008, Obama, the Affordable Care Act took quite a while to get to us um, and then to work its way down into like New York City. Uh, but once it finally did, the governor mandated that all transgender-related health care needed to be covered by health insurance. And that was like music to my ears. Um, and so initially when I, was, I started auditioning for Drag Race, I did it with the focus of, I just need to just do this show so that I can get... The, the coins that I, that I need and want to have better life, including my medical transition. And that was my focus. But then when I was able to get insurance and didn't need drag race for my medical transition, I started my medical business. And, and then I was like, I don't really care. Here's this tape. I'm just going to do it because I already prepared it. And then I'm going to put it and literally in the tape. I was like, I, I'm, I was, uh, you could just tell I didn't give a hell in that tape. I was like, hey, I'm Peppermint. Maybe you'll put me on, maybe you won't. That. And that's when they put me on. <laughs> wow. <laughs> when they first came to you and you said, hell no,
1: that, that was season one? Like, before it even ever yeah, happened? Yeah, oh yeah. It was, no one had ever seen it.
0: That was definitely, that was season one. So. so like 2008, maybe? Something. Wow. So somewhere in there,
1: it became a thing, like before you were on it, like, but it still didn 't really interest you just because you were making money and- no
0: i didn 't mean to skip over that yeah uh, it became it obviously became very popular and much more popular on uh probably around season four or five it was ob- it obviously was a hit from the start, but it became more and more popular, and so around season four or five, I was like, mm, maybe I should look into this because." All those places that I was traveling to internationally started to, They finally, they got it in Europe. I was traveling to Europe. And initially, they didn't know what Drag Race was. But then after a couple of seasons, they did. And then they started to say, oh, we want to book Drag Race girls. And they started booking the Drag Race girls. And then obviously, it just blew up. It was like wildfire. So then there's nowhere you could go in the world of drag and not acknowledge Drag Race. And when that started to happen... I was like, okay, maybe I better take a look at this,
1: you know. And so I did. Totally. And so you were the first out trans
0: contestant on Drag Race.
1: Was that to be
0: cast as an out trans? I guess it's an important distinction because there are definitely other trans women who were on the show before me, but most of them came out. Um, you know, at they I don't know what the status was when they were cast, but. Um, it seems like they came out after the show or during the show. And for me, I came out as trans in 2012, which was years before I auditioned.
1: Right. So like, right. Like they came out after or on the show and you came out like, so when you were cast, was that like a thing? Was that important to you? Or it was really just like,
0: I want some coins and this could be good for my career. or did that play into it? I mean that was all it was is I mean no I mean obviously I wanted to do a good job but I really wanted to focus on just just what do I need to do to let me just do this show and get this money and let's get out of here and so that was my my thought uh and to be honest with you my whole sort of um my my plan my thought my thinking behind it was I wanna make sure that I represent drag well, cause I wanna get far in the show. I don't wanna just make an achievement and then be like, well, her drag's not that good, but she's the first trans woman, I didn't want that. And so I wanted to, have, to be a good queen and have you know, nice outfits and do what I can do well on the show. And so that was my focus. I didn't need to really focus on the trans part of it. Um, and so I didn't, you know? uh, I was just gonna, kind of, I wanted to make it a non-issue. Uh, I've talked about it with my with a couple of close friends of mine and should I walk in there wearing a t-shirt that set? should I do this? Should I, or should I just go in there and be like, yeah, and what? And that was kind of my, my approach. That makes sense. Is there, like, how important do you
1: think is drag race, like, in the drag community? You know, because I think, like you said, like, you were making a living before traveling all over and there's so many drag queens that make such a good living at it. Like, has it become this thing now where if you're a working drag queen now, it's like, that's like the gold standard? Like, is that a misconception?
0: Well, I mean, anyone who does drag definitely, again, is aware of drag race. So it would, we can't really say it's just a non-issue. There's certainly people who don't want to do it. um, And there's probably some people who shouldn't do it. Um, And, you know, for different reasons, it's, 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 it's less about. It's a TV show first. It's first a TV show, so it's more about the cameras and the and the the production aspect of it and the, you know the the, all of that stuff. Drag is just kind of a given, um, and so, it, I think it is still a factor. Uh, some people think it's unfair because it's very mainstream, and it. Some people say that it takes the sort of takes the teeth out of. Drag. You know and I think that they might have a point but anything that becomes the mainstream becomes more homogenized like that's that's I think that's the definition again that's the definition you know it, it has to appeal to uh, uh, ev- as many people as possible the more people it appeals to the more mainstream it is but the more mainstream it is the more it has to appeal to people which means they might not get inside jokes so you have to make the jokes basic <laughs>
1: From like a TV point of view, like to your point, it's a TV show. When you got there, how was the actual filming? Like, was it what you expected having it be on all those years? Or were you just like, you know, like, did you get used to the cameras? Like the actual just filming of it as a TV show?
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, it, 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 um, I mean, I'd been around cameras a bit before, so I wasn't like a fish out of water, but it was my first experience with being a contestant on reality TV. And the nature of the show or the way that they run the show is incredibly um secretive uh you know there's just it's just a lot more cagey um and so you know i didn't i didn't realize i knew we were going to be on a show with rupaul that we were going to be competing and that there would be challenges and cameras i didn't realize for instance that there's a there's a tactic that they use that they called hard ice where they don't want anyone to talk or develop any relationships with each other, unless it's on camera. And so obviously there's times when you're not on camera, um, uh, like when you're going traveling to and from the set, or when you're at the hotel, or all that. So they keep all the contestants separate so that the only time we're really around each other is when the cameras are rolling. And so that's an unnatural that's unnatural to me. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, and they would cut the cameras and then you'd be in mid conversation. They'd be like, they'd be like, Shh. and you, so you just have to just wait. And then you could keep talking once they roll the cameras again.
1: Well, yeah, that's not a natural. That's not natural.
0: What about RuPaul? How is like, were you, how was RuPaul? Ru's great. Um, Ru is, you know, the queen of the show and, uh, you know, is an absolute trailblazer. Uh, You know, surprisingly, we spent a lot less time with Ru. It's not like we're lounging around and going out together. You know, it's like, it's like we all work at the same place. That's kind of how it feels, you know? Right.
1: And RuPaul's there to do a job, especially many seasons in. Yeah. (laughs) What about like from a drag point of view, like growing up? Like, I mean, like, did you look up to RuPaul? Like, I mean, how was that? I mean... There weren't many role models, I would assume.
0: Do you remember Tuesday, September 20th, 2016? Because we do. Because it's the day This Is Us premiered after more than 70 million of you watched our trailer and made our show go viral. I'm Mandy Moore. I am Chris Sullivan. And I am Sterling Brown. We are your hosts of That Was Us, a rewatch podcast starting May 14th. Listen to our episodes wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll be able to watch our episodes on the That Was Us YouTube channel. We took it all, we brought them to our land. An endless night, Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. A hundred percent. I mean, Rue was, I think, the first working drag queen that I ever kind of made that connection that this person is a work, you know, a drag queen and this is what they're doing. And, you know, I could just see um, that the package so clearly. (laughs) Excuse the pun. Oh, my word. Um, (laughs) But when when Rue was on, quite literally, when Rue was on vh1 i was watching her music videos and like supermodel there was a moment in time where i was like i'm confused i don't know who this is or what's going on but i'm with it yeah i don't know who this lady is but yeah sign me up you know you're like i i am here for it yeah
1: what about is it clear you know so like you were runner-up that which is a great place to finish like was it clear that like okay like Sasha was gonna win like is it clear kind of like when you get there like who's gonna
0: end up where or just you no. can't tell no uh, no no when we first got there I um, Sasha wasn't the person that I was focused on as the winner the two people like day one the two people that I was focused on as the winners were Eureka and Valentina they were the 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 um, Personally, I was more personally threatened by those two, Um, not from a competition standpoint. Um, They were just extremely polished and extreme together. Uh, Trinity's performance and and in the show and kind of her personality came across very differently on day one of season nine than it did later on. Um, And so initially, she just seemed mean and bitchy, like that's it. You know what I mean, for, to me. Um, and so I didn't realize that she was a pageant queen. And, you know, when, you, when you've been in pageants like Eureka and, and Trinity, um, drag pageants, then you develop a certain skill. I think that's pretty, everybody understands that now after having seen the show for so many seasons. And, but Trinity was, she psyched us out because she was, she was displaying more of a, like a club kid kind of look on her day one. And so I didn't know she was a pageant queen. Um, later on, her professionalism and her experience as a pageant queen spoke just, it was like, it was very apparent. And she was always the first ready. She was always the first done. She, the, Rude would say, make an outfit. She'd make three. And I was like, oh. And so then quickly, she became, the, to me, the threat. Uh, And then soon after was Shay. This was only a few episodes in. And so the first two were Valentina and Eureka. Then later on in the season, Shay and Trinity were my front runners. I was like, okay, they're going to, one of them is going to win. And this was like halfway through the season. I didn't even know. I was just praying I would make it to the next round. And so then that was that. Obviously, um, when we became top four, it was supposed to be a top three. And that was not planned. You know, I was supposed to be eliminated and I was going to be eliminated, but I think my performance in the, um, in that final episode and the final challenge rather made them change their mind. And they, you could tell they stopped the, they were like, okay, hold up. And we were waiting. Like they eliminated me because they eliminated everyone, but they eliminated me first. And that was the one that you always get what you want when you're filming, get the most important take first. And <laughs> So they, they, they sent me home and then um, we were all backstage. We were about to get, that was it. We were about to get out and had we just gotten out of um, drag, we would have you know washed our faces and gone home and, those, and they would have had on camera Peppermint being eliminated, all of us being eliminated, but they were, their focus was the three of them as the finale. And then they would have called the girls back and done the finale with those three. But while we were getting ready to get on, out of you know, drag, they called, they were like, stop, stop, come back in, put that back on, come back in. And we were like, what's going on? And so we, you know, we obviously went back in. We, and th- they said, something went wrong, we didn't get the t- proper take. You know, like that's what the, the line they were feeding us. They were just like, oh, it, it, none of that was real, worked. We ha- the, the tape deleted. And so we were like, oh God. And so they brought us back on and then we were waiting and I was like, we have to do all this again. Um, and then they were like, actually, we're keeping all four of you. And it was like, oh, and we, and so that was obviously what aired. That's what we, you know, were surprised. So then later on when it, you know, we, we just went about our normal lives. And then almost a year later it was time to film the finale. And we filmed the finale. Uh, we didn't know what it was gonna be. We were, you know, we were very kind of unprepared because there was no, There was no model to look at that beforehand. There had never been a top four with a lip sync sort of smackdown, you know.
1: Were you shocked, just in general, like how far you got in the competition, or did you show up
0: saying like, oh, "I'm going to take uh, this"? No, I was. I was shocked and thankful, <laughs> and very grateful. I was just happy to, to hang on another day. It wasn't until a towards the end, till the end was in sight, that I was like, oh, I have a good shot at this.
1: Was Drag Race like easier or harder than you expected or pretty much the competitions were Harder.
0: Just, really? harder. Mm-hmm. But it's not just because of the competition, it's because of the lack of sleep, because of the long filming hours. You know, any filming hour over on a TV set is, is about 12 hours. If it's, if it's non-union, which ours was, because we were not union, if it's reality, it can be 16 or more. It can be as many hours as they want. And so, and cause we weren't employees, we were just contestants. So they could have kept us there for 24 hours, I think, you know, um, and so, you know, there were moments when we were leaving there at, you know, 11 or 12 at night, getting, getting home at like one and having to be up and in the van at 6 a.m. again.
1: When's that's the last tough. time you talked, Yeah, oh, that's tough, I mean, no sleep. When's the last time you talked to RuPaul? Um, probably at DragCon. Do you love DragCon? Or is it just a
0: long weekend and it's work? I mean, it's work. I really do enjoy it. I do. It is a lot of work. It's, it's, it's honestly equally both.
1: It's become a huge
0: thing. It's a huge thing. Although I don't know what's going to happen this, you know, we'll see what happens in the future.
1: So after Drag Race, before we get to all the exciting stuff you're up to now, like the immediate after Mm -hmm. effect, like, did you see like an immediate change in your career? Like you said, like people want to book Drag Race Girls. Was it just like an explosion after that? Or no, you were working really consistently before and went back to working really consistently after it aired?
0: It was tough. I mean, there was a moment in time where they wanted to restrict how much we were working, Uh, There was a moment in time also with you You kind of wanted to take a break after doing something so exhausting. And then there was a moment in time where like, you know, you you needed to work, you know, but you didn't want to just make the wrong decisions in the wrong time. And so it really is an interesting time. And then did you see one big thing
1: that happened after Drag Race in your career or does this bring us to the amazing Head Over Heels? Because I want to get into Head Over Heels.
0: I had a lot, I mean, a lot of the, the, basically the year after Drag Race is filled with touring and meeting people and, you know, traveling a lot and just kind of doing all those things. Individually, they weren't like the most newsworthy events. They were just me traveling and performing. Um, Obviously, things like a Broadway run or another TV show are more, um, are bigger you know, events. How did Head Over Heels come about? I auditioned for it. They were auditioning for the role and um, my man, my agent recommended that I do it. And I did. And and I got it, obviously. <laughs> were you just like, was that like a pinch me moment? Like, I'm going to star on Broadway? Yeah, I went to school. No, it wasn't. But I mean, I was very excited about it. I I, I understood the reverence, but it was also... I'd gone to school for acting, so it was a big accomplishment personally, but then also publicly, you know, with the um, label and the distinction of being the first out trans woman cast to play a lead in a Broadway musical uh, or originate a Broadway principal role. Um, It's a mouthful, but it's 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 a very nice addition to my resume. Let's just say that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, that's very... Did you love playing Pythio? It just seemed like such a fun part. Uh,
0: yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was the tough... It was very tough to do because just creating the role and going to all of the... Rehears- the moment in time where you're rehearsing for eight hours a day and then you have to perform at night and then they're changing the lines and changing a thing. Like, you, what you want to do is repetition so you know you feel prepared what you're going to do tonight. But when they're like you're on and whatever you rehearsed is wrong. So just make, work it out. You know, here's the new, here's the new script. Here's all 200 pages of the new script. Go on stage right now. Like that's really stressful. Memorize it and go. (laughs) I don't even know how you would do that. I, there was moments in time where I were, I'm like, okay, my song starts in in 10 seconds. Or I'm the next person that the the king says the line and then I'm my lines after the king. Wait, what's my line? What's my line? Like that happened, you know did you love i mean it was such a good show did you just love being a part of it yeah it was i mean i'm I'm really thankful for for that having had the opportunity, of course, but you know this the show is was also very um, it just wasn't a show you know it wasn't just a show for me uh, it was a show that was extremely progressive and very diverse and Especially when it comes to queerness and and body positivity and gender, and these are things that you know I think a lot of people just let's just put it this way: before twenty twenty, people had a certain approach to a lot of these subjects. I think after twenty twenty, people have a different approach to them, and I think that the musical probably would have been a lot more um, successful and more you know slightly more mainstream had we opened next year versus a year and a half ago, you know?
1: I could see that. Did you feel like a difference between, like, the New York crowd that came versus, like, you know, the tourists that went to their concierge and this was recommended for a night out?
0: You know, I don't really know because a lot of people were definitely – I couldn't tell where everyone was other than my friends. I couldn't tell where everyone was from. There certainly were, like, older people who were, like, Broadway, you know, I mean, look, most of the people who came were at least, they came either because they knew the subject matter and they and they, they wanted to see that, or if they didn't know the subject matter, they came for the Go-Go's music, which means, you know, you Go-Go's, they were a punk band, you know, they were a rock band, you know, you had to be a little progressive to kind of, or at least, you know, with it, you know, no, nope, we didn't get people that thinking they were gonna have a night at the opera, you know? And so our crowd was relatively, we only had one red hat, if you know what I mean, Um, and who walked out halfway through the show, not surprisingly, but otherwise, everybody was good to go. Who was the red hat? I don't know, somebody in the audience. Oh, wow. Who was wearing a Make America Great hat, which obviously is, they, they might feel some kind of way if they're watching a play about a black trans woman and, you know, lesbians.
1: <laughs> Seriously. So that person left. <laughs> oh wow. Did you grow up like loving the go-go's? Like were they a band
0: that you Yeah, I mean, they were definitely like way at the top of my list when it came to female rock bands. Um, and it wasn't until later, I mean, of course, I knew so many of their songs, they're they're their hits. So that even if you don't know, like you can't turn on a TV without hearing a commercial of it, but some go-go's music. And so uh, I was very aware. Obviously, they were the, the, they were the music that they were putting out and some of their earlier hits were bo- a little before my time. But nevertheless, I've always loved them. And I had the chance to work with Belinda Carlisle in 2012, just on a fluke. She needed some drag performers to, to back her up um, on a, in a concert. And so I did in 2012. And then years later, in 2018, hello, we're, we're, we're we in a music. I'm in your musical.
1: You're singing the songs. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's get into your music. Like who were your like musical, who did you look up to musically? I know Carol King, I just read somewhere. I forgot where I read it was like a influence. Like who were your musical influences?
0: Well, I think, I mean, of course, I absolutely love Carol King and she wrote, you know, a majority of the hits that we <laughs> listened to, uh, you know, from the from from the '60s on. Yeah. Um, but um, I'd say my personal musical influences, uh, the music that just naturally gravitated to, were more hip hop and R and B and and soul um, from any era. But definitely, you know, when I was a youngster uh, in the '80s and '90s, I'd say. 90s, um, you know R&B and sort of neo soul, where the music are some of my favorite genres of music. But I, if I had to put a name on, you know, people like Prince, people like Stevie Wonder and Janet Jackson, those are my like all time favorites. You know, Prince is way up there for. You. I mean, you nobody can say anything. There's nothing really. There's, there's nothing. nothing to it, yeah,
1: say. I mean. I don't know. It's like un American not to like Prince. And I I don't know. To me, Prince is the biggest musical genius like of our living generation, but that's just I my agree. opinion.
0: I, like, just, I, would I, mean, I think there's a lot of people that would agree with you. Like
1: whether you're a fan or not, just
0: true like genius. Every instrument, every part, and all of and and this probably goes beyond the average music listener, but like, you know, having written all of that music, when you I, I I worked at a nightclub, I, and then that's the end of the story. <laughs> <laughs> I worked at a nightclub years ago, and we had a band where we would play cover songs every week, and we would choose new songs, and I would do all kinds of songs. I would even try things that you know weren't necessarily my favorite, just to try something new. And most of those songs, we I would always choose pop and rock, pop and hip hop songs, and uh, soul songs, and things like that. And, you know, the band would, more times than not, the band would be like, they would be moan having to do my song because they didn't translate well. You need, those songs that are made electronically kind of need to be electronic, many of them. Not all of them, but many of them. Prince music, whether he made it electronically or played their instruments live, however they were, every part that was written, it just translates to any genre you could turn it into anything and it will it will hold up because it has all the parts and interesting and the and the band would be like oh this this works great and we we could turn we could do a print song as a reggae song or as a something that felt more like classical music or jazz and it would work because all of the parts are there if that makes any sense i never Uh, thought of it like that huh yeah there's other songs that that are not as thoroughly written not just the lyrics but like the instrumental parts you know and those those are important things are like building blocks you know interesting
1: and it just it takes you into a whole nother world like that's the thing with prince it's like it's a whole it's like a language it's like a whole nother it's not music it's just like a right I and like all have, the protégés I've, like the whole it's yeah. just like a whole world
0: i've asked it's a it's a world it's a universe i've asked Myself so many times after listening to Prince and sitting down I'm just like God, what I his brain. Yeah, you know <laughs> yeah. So yeah, prince is a big inspiration
1: <laughs> That's a good one What about I know you've worked with a lot of different people like tell me about working with Debbie Harry who's another
0: I love yeah, her. I've worked with Debbie many many times. We are I consider her a friend uh, and we have a single that we released together uh, last year. Um, and uh, I, I've i known Debbie for now, I mean, look, I was a fan before I was an- anything else with Debbie, but um, I've known her for now more than 10 years. I can't even believe it. And <laughs> um, I think she's just amazing. She's really cool. She's just so chill and cool. And very spunky at the same time, um, and so being around her and and hearing her opinion and some stories that she'll she'll tell has just always been um, a pleasure.
1: Has she ever told you a story where you're just like, "That can't be
0: real"? Like that's just so out there. We've yeah, I mean, her her stories. She has an answer to everything with a story. So yes, <laughs> that's <laughs> as like, far as I'll go.
1: And, like, she, you know, she was, like, a big supporter of just, like,
0: all things, like, the community and just everything, like, way back from the beginning. As she, I don't think that ever wavered. I mean, I don't know. You know, we haven't, again, but I don't think that ever wavered.
1: So, yeah, I don't think so. So talk to me about your new music, A Girl Like Me. Where does this come Mm -hmm. from? I mean, letters to my lovers like is this t- tell me about like the influence of this new music and talk to me.
0: Well uh I was in a relationship about a year uh just a little over a year ago and uh it's one of the best relationships I'd ever been to that point. I really enjoyed it. I was in love and my heart was broken when we broke up. And then I started writing in my journal and eventually I was inspired to put all of those writings to music. And the only thing was we had like 15 or 16 songs, way too many songs you're Prince for one album. And so we, we decided to break them up uh, to reflect the beginning, the middle, and the end of the relationship. And so we have three albums, the beginning, middle, and end. Uh, and this one is the first one, which is the beginning of the relationship, A Girl Like Me, Letters to My Lovers. Um, and the other two will be released later you know, in a year or so. We're gonna release them over the course of a year because that's how long the, the relationship lasted. And so the first single is Best Sex. The album comes out. I'm not sure when people will hear this, but the, the album's out by now, probably. Yes. Um, and the, uh, the first single was Best Sex, which performed very well. Uh, people seem to really um, be, to notice that there's a difference in my style. Uh, and, you know, yeah. And- <laughs> Best sex, I've
1: seen the video, I've listened to it. Is it, it's just what I think it is, like, okay, we're looking for love, but like, let's just have great sex while we're looking for love, or am I off base?
0: Well, you're not off base. Uh, I was, I wasn't looking for love when I experienced the things that started best sex. I wanted to give people a full, a, a kind of a realistic, honest, full view of what, my love life was like and some of my experiences. And I wanted to be able to give them an understanding of what things can be like for a transgender woman of color. And at the same time, I wanted other transgender women of color to, to have music and a song by an artist that, you know that they can identify with. Because we, we don't really get to hear trans women singers historically. There are, we can't name any 10, 20, 30 years ago you know, that were mainstream. And so, you know, I'm not mainstream, but I've had some mainstream successes. And this was the best way for me to be able to put out an honest record, that people could take a look inside uh, what it's like for a trans woman. So best sex just really focuses on the casual sex, the swipe left, swipe right, hookup scene culture, uh, where people are looking for, you know, skin to skin contact, but not necessarily looking for anything deeper. And again, pardon the pun. Um, And so thats I think that is something that's relatable to a lot of people. Um, In this fast-paced world, we don't always have the time to stop and and really experience love. So Best Sex is about the single life before my relationship. That makes sense.
1: What about the acting you've done? I know you were in Pose. You were in Ugly Betty. Do you love acting?
0: Uh, Of course I love acting. I love performing performing period brings me joy so um acting i love to do what
1: about like pose i mean pose to me is an amazing show you know it's i think it's the largest transgender cast out of any show that's ever existed you know like has the trans community like in your opinion like i mean it's come far like it has a long like Tell me about that, like has it come far? does it have a long way to go with shows like
0: those? and I think both. I think that the folks in the trans community have come a long way. people understand that we exist now and don't want to and and, and 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 you know so that's great. I do think that there's much further to go in the world of in and, and, and all aspects film and television and life you know um, and so I think putting out art by you know one way for people who don't live in this world to understand people in this world is to see us as often as possible doing as many different things as we can do um, exercising our talents our skills and so that's that's what i want to try to do whether i'm acting or whether i'm putting out an album uh you know i want people to to be able to see the real me and so this i'm really proud of this record and i think that people are going to be able to see something different because I've had albums out before I was on Drag Race. Since I was on Drag Race, people know me for like their little Drag Race things that they saw me do, but that's not my full, that's not me. That's just something I did. And so this is me, this album, Girl Like Me, lovers, My Lovers.
1: Is the album, does it change musically, you know, because it's a trilogy and like it's the three steps? Yes.
0: Yeah. The first one is very sweet. And then it gets a little, again, then, it, then it, it changes with the stages of the relationship. There's some angry,
1: spoiler say, alert, there's the some, there's some just, angry, yeah. <laughs> I'm here for all the angry, just bring it on. I'm, I'm like, okay with that.
0: <laughs> all in due
1: time. <laughs> I'm okay. Is there a part of like the business that you like the best? Like, I mean, you're focused on the music now. Like, do you love doing music more than acting or you just love it all?
0: I really love it all for different reasons, you know? They bring something different. You know, they're obviously, um, you, you, you can sing and write when, when for music. And then acting is generally more about you, you know, find, bringing yourself to a role rather than bringing, you know, than bringing yourself to other people. It's about bringing yourself to a role. So it's something different, quite literally, but it's great.
1: And just because I also am obsessed with this show, you were on Ugly Betty for what, like one episode? I saw that you were like, how was I was, was in that? one episode.
0: Mm-hmm. Was it with it was, Judith I mean, White? it was long. It was very difficult. <laughs> it was a long, I was like, some of us were falling asleep while the cameras were rolling because it was very late night. Um, I didn't really have a connection with any of the stars or anything. I wish I could be like, I became friends. I didn't <laughs> I just didn't know if you had, like, you know, just it was a yeah. classic show. I have met Judith Light. Um, she's excellent, but I didn't meet her that day. I don't even think she was in that. Scene. Oh, yeah, she might have been, she was in the scene. Everyone was there. Um, and so I think we said hi to a few people. RuPaul was, was there. Um, and yeah, I don't, but I, it was so long ago, I barely remember, I barely remember it. I'm so sorry. Did you watch Pose before you were on it? Like, is that, Yeah. Yeah. I'd watched the full, I'm a huge fan of the show. I watched the first season and was surprised to get a call to audition for the second season. And, and I was very happy to do so.
1: And through this music that's out now, it's very personal. People could learn more about you through your music.
0: 100%. I hope that they do. You know, uh, I, again, I want, you know, I remember being young and a young queer person and not having anywhere to turn, not knowing where to go, what to do, who to talk to, what, what to think, how, how do I do this or that. Like I had all these questions and no answers. And so now I think it's a, it's a different world now, but I'd like to be able to contribute to people being able to at least see some examples of different people doing their thing so that they can feel inspired themselves.
1: And as we wrap up, talk to me about
0: pep talks. Pep Talks is a brand new show. It's a weekly interview show where I uh, invite my favorite celebrity friends on each week to talk about Black movie classics. Black movies that most people probably didn't either want to see or didn't occur to them that they should see or never tried to see that now after 2020, everybody's got a different point of view. They are more willing to see and that they should because these are some great movies. Uh, and so we have m- movies like Poetic Justice, and we just watch American Gangster, and we're gonna have Do the Right Thing, and, uh, Friday, of course, everyone's already seen Friday. Uh, and so we're gonna watch all of them, some serious, some comedy. Uh, we have guests, uh, we just, next, uh, last week was, Shea, this week, rather, was Shea Coulet. uh, we have Monet Exchange coming up, Manila Luzon, we had Alaska and Bob at our, uh, opening premiere night. And so I think it's really great. People can catch it on Twitch or um, my Patreon if, you're, if you want to see all of that, the back episodes.
1: I love it. I think it's a great idea. Do you think, as we wrap up, this will be the last question, like do you think, you know, like you've referred to like 2020 and especially like Head Over Heels, like it might have had a longer run. Like do you really think like when the world is fully opened, who knows what that means, Who knows when that will be, if that's even going to happen. Like, do you think this has been a year of change like
0: that? It's. Oh, no, I hope so. Either that or just some kind of crazy dream. I mean, if we're not sleeping, then we then there's definitely been change for the better and worse. But I think um, the change, I guess I'd rather say that some horrible things have happened which have inspired great change. And I and I think that it's the change is just starting. And I think we have to keep up, you know, it's not just automatic, we have to tend to the change, but I do think it is going to continue.
1: That's great. And is there anything we haven't covered here today that you would like to discuss? I like to give people a chance at the end
0: if I didn't mm-hmm. bring something up. No, uh, I feel like we, it was pretty, ex- we, we, we ran the gamut. <laughs> I, I needed to
1: get to know you more, Peppermint. I appreciate that. So I know you're busy. I will let you go. Where can everyone find you on social media? And thank you for taking the time again.
0: Absolutely. People can check me out at Peppermint247 on all socials, including my Twitch and my uh, uh, Patreon, which is where they can see Pep Talks, and my YouTube as well, uh, where I just released my new video, Best Sex, and am going to release my album for A Girl Like Me Letters and I
1: I love it. I can't wait. And Best Sex is so catchy. It's great. It's great. Everyone should listen to this and I can't wait for the album. And honestly, Peppermint, thank you so much for taking your time. See you you later. You too. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear,